Hello and welcome to Church at the Bridge. Thank you for checking out our weekly sermon podcast. Today we are finishing our current series, This Changes Everything. And the title of today's message is One Moment with God. We pray you enjoy today's word. Well, good morning, everyone. Go ahead and give somebody a virtual high five. Tell somebody I love you. I know you see people commenting. I know that you guys are allowing us to come into your home, and we are so grateful that God has given us the opportunity to come into your home and bring hope, bring a fresh word from God. I I pray you enjoyed worship. Our worship team has been working really hard. Our audiovisual and lighting team has been working really hard, and we we just want to continue to... uh, do what God has called us to do, to build the body, to connect people with people. So make sure you're connecting with people even right now as you're on our feed. Um, and just share this with somebody. Go ahead and give, hit that share button and tell somebody, hey, you've got to watch this with me. If you don't have a watch party going on, go ahead and start one. But today we are taking the opportunity to uh, come back into your homes with a fresh word. And we are wrapping up the series that we've been on for the last two months entitled This changes everything. And so what we've seen over the last several weeks is that the Bible is full of truth for our lives. But we must understand the purpose of this truth. This truth is intended to produce change. What good is truth without change? Think about that. And so God gives us wisdom. He gives us insight. He gives us truth from his word. But it's for the purpose of impacting our lives and producing long-lasting life change. It's the type of change that you and I need. It's the type of change that you and I want. It's the type of change that leaves us better than worse. And so today, I'd like to talk to you on the topic of one moment with God. One moment with God. I want you to consider this, that our time is valuable. Every day, every hour, every minute, down to every second counts. For some of you, you know what I'm talking about because you had to rearrange certain things just to join us this morning. For some of you, you you, you had to get up out of your bed (laughs) when you wanted to sleep. Uh, for some of you, you know, you, you, you had to settle the kids down and, and go the extra mile this morning just to get yourself prepared for this moment. And so our time is valuable, and what we do with it counts. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, and focus in on what the Scripture is saying as it relates to today's topic about one moment with God. Starting at verse 9, it says this, What profit has the worker from that in which he labors. By the way, the worker there, it's talking about all people. It's talking about you and me. And the labor that we're talking about, you're going to see in a second, uh, is, is life. And so in verse 10, he says, I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. And so before we dig into this, I want you to consider that the person who wrote this was a guy named Solomon. And Solomon, in in his day and age, was a man with uh, exceedingly great wisdom. This guy had the wisdom of God. This guy had devoted his life to seeking wisdom and knowledge and understanding 
But the book of Ecclesiastes is written at the tail end of his life. And if you, if you look at the book of Ecclesiastes, while it's full of wisdom, what you'll see is that it's a book of lamenting. In essence, what Solomon is doing is looking back on his life and he's conveying what he's learned. But in the midst of it, you'll see his pain. And the reason why you'll see it is because Solomon went wayward. And so in the midst of the wisdom that we're seeing here, he's reflecting on his pursuits for understanding the lessons learned from his errors and the truth regarding what he's discovered life is really all about. You see, Solomon at one point began to seek the pursuits of women. He began to seek their gods. He began to seek possessions. While being anointed of God, he began to go in a different way. And so Solomon teaches us something that's really important and critical for our lives through this question. He says, what profit is there to anything that a man labors for? Let me put it to you this way. He says, what profit is there to what you're spending your time on? What are you, what, what, what's the profit to what you're pursuing with your time? And so what you do with your time is valuable. It can be life-changing. It can make the difference between making the right turn in life and the wrong one. Have you ever been there where you've made a split-second decision that till this day you're paying the price for? If you can relate to that or maybe you've seen that happen in someone's life, then you understand this point that what we do with our time and the moments that we have in our life are critically important. And so what we see is that Solomon says that he has seen what men are to be occupied with. And he tells us that in in every season, in all the time that we have in life, that there's beauty in it. Now, I can think of nothing more valuable than the beauty laid up to be discovered as we spend moments with God. Solomon says that God has put eternity into the hearts of men. And while no one can understand the complete magnitude of it, few endeavor to tap into it at any level. Because of what Christ has done, we now have the wisdom of God. And God invites us to know him to know his wisdom, to know his guidance, to know his person, to know his purposes and his will. But we can't get there if we don't take just those simple, small moments with God. And so it's for this reason that just one moment with God can change everything for the rest of your life. I want you to consider this. Paul had one moment with God, and he received revelation of the gospel and of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ for all mankind. Deborah received strength to overcome the enemy of Israel. Peter found restoration in one moment with Jesus. David found anointing and his calling for all that God had, not just for his life, but for his lineage to come. Joshua found courage. Moses found his, 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 his place in ministry and his calling to bring deliverance to the people of Israel. Noah found purpose beyond his own life that impacted the world. Mary found a legacy all in one moment with God. 
See, there's beauty laid up for your life. And there's beauty for, for, for our lives, for a life lived devoted to growing with God and knowing him. You know what this reminds me of? Many years ago when I first met my wife, um, we met on the job. She was working at a company and, and, and I was looking for a job. And I was uh, seeking something different for life. You know, I was starting to make some different decisions. And, and you got to understand that I grew up knowing Jesus. Let me correct that. I grew up knowing about Jesus. And I really loved Jesus, but the gospel made no sense to me. Why? Because of erroneous teaching, because uh, doctrinal views. You know, I, I, I grew up in church trusting what the pastor said, but not trusting Jesus. And so there was a lot of confusion there as I was growing up. And so as, an, as a young adult in my early, early 20s, um, I started to make some different choices. And what I was unaware of was that God was beginning to work. He, he was always working in my life, but I was beginning to sense that there was something different coming. And so I ended up going on an interview specifically to a, a company where my wife uh, worked back then. And she was the office manager, and she, you know, she, she managed the office and everything. And so on this particular day when I'm coming in uh, for this interview, my wife is sitting at the front. And as I walk in, she goes, mm, 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 sookie, sookie, quack, quack. <laughs> I'm kidding. She didn't quite say that, but she had a moment there. And you got to understand that I was hurting so much that I wasn't sensitive to God at that time in my life. But thank God that she was. The, the way my wife tells it is that when she saw me, the Holy Spirit said to her, that's your husband. And God spoke to her and showed her what was to come in that moment. But in that very moment, I had missed it. But thank God that she didn't. See, what made the difference in that moment was that she was in the habit of making the most of her time. My wife was devoting her life to seeking God and knowing his ways. And when it counted most, she was able to discern the direction that God had for her life and even for mine. And I'll tell you why that's important. Because she was spending her time wisely. Let me ask you a question. How are you spending your time? Now let me clarify what I'm asking when I say that. Think of it this way. When we spend money, we're spending it for the purpose and intent of what we get in return. So we're seeking a return from what we spend. If you go to McDonald's, right, if that's your thing, you don't just spend $8 for just any hamburger. You spend $8 for the specific sandwich that you want, right? If you go to a restaurant and you spend $300 on dinner for you and your friends, you're not just spending it just for any meal. There's expectations that you have there. There's a return that you anticipate. So when I ask you, how are you spending your time? What I'm asking you really is, 
What return are you getting on the time and how you spend it today? See, time is the most precious commodity that we have. What you do with it today has implications, whether good or bad, for tomorrow. That makes sense? And so think about this. Time appreciates. It has the power to produce value in times to come. And so if you can gain money and grow it by what you do with it today, what makes us think that what we do with our time in relationship to God doesn't produce greater results for tomorrow? But you see, we have to value and appreciate the moments that we have with God. Let me encourage you with something because it's very possible that there are some of you right now that you're potentially beating yourself up because you're saying, man, I want to read the word, but I don't take the time, or I knew I was supposed to pray, but I didn't. You're missing what I'm saying. Because right here, right now, you are having a moment with God. The word of God is beginning to open your heart. See, it's not me. I'm not that special, ladies and gentlemen. Listen closely. It's God's word. And right now at this moment, there's an opening in your heart and your understanding where you are seeing the value and the return on your investment of a moment with God. Right now, God is speaking to you. And there's something that's clicking for you. There's something that's opening up for you and you're leaning in. I suggest to you, I implore you to see what's really happening. You're spending a moment with God. And for some of you, I believe that right here, right now, this is the moment where everything changes for you. And so moments with God only appreciate. Think about this. You buy a brand new car today, as soon as you drive it off that lot, you lost value. You buy fresh vegetables today, and guess what? That return lasts only so long. In a couple of days, they'll go bad. You buy a home, and it might appreciate in value, but I'll guarantee you this, you're constantly having to upkeep it. You constantly have to maintain it. Right? So what we spend our money with, what we spend our devotion on outside of God, all of that, in essence, depreciates. We have to work at keeping its value up, even if it's minimizing in value monetarily. In our eyes, it's al- we're always going to see something wrong with it. It's always going to be deficient to some extent in our life. You buy a brand new car, and you look at it, and three years later, you're saying, I need another one. You buy a home, and it's your dream home, and the moment you get in there, after a couple of years of renovating, you begin to get an itch to change things. Why? Because it no longer holds the same value. It's depreciated. But the one thing that does not lose its value is those moments with God. They only appreciate. They only grow in value. They open doors In the future, and and listen to me, the doors ahead of you are contingent upon the moments with God you have right here, right now, today. Every day we have moments. Every one of us is on the same playing field. Last time I checked, I've got the same 24 hours you have. 
I've got the same minutes, seconds, days, months, years. But the difference is what we do with those moments. And I want to encourage you to see the value of taking moments with God. See, that one, one moment that I had with my wife was more than just the beginning of our love story. You know what it was? It was the beginning of God's story in my life. And even for the lives of those that God has graced us to be a tool and a vehicle to serve by impacting them with the gospel, this message of Jesus Christ. And so right here, right now, listen closely as you're tuning in. Wherever you are, whether you're watching this live or somebody shared this with you and you're watching this later on, right here, right now, you cannot afford to let this moment with God and the revelation of his word pass you by. Take this moment with God. Hey, if you're with me right now, go ahead and type right then and there. Go ahead and tell somebody, this is my moment with God. I can't let this moment go. I'm not letting it go. Go ahead and share with somebody, you need to know this moment with God right here, right now. We need to encourage ourselves and recognize that we, the moments that we have with God aren't momentary. Listen, God is always present, and you can always share a moment with God. And so the Bible records a life-defining moment for a man from a land called Ethiopia. This man was a man of great distinction. He was a high-ranking official in the court of Queen Candace of Ethiopia. And this guy specifically was charged with caring for her personal treasures. And so while this man had a place of distinction in her kingdom... He held prestige in the eyes of others. He had security at her table and by her provision. None of that proved to be as essential as the moment when he had an encounter with God. Let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 8 verses 26 through 40. Starting at verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come down to Jerusalem to worship. And as he was returning, he was seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep He was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, 
he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until the time he came to Caesarea. So as we're introduced to this man, we learn that his story begins with an act of God. His life was based upon his place in the royal court of Queen Candace, the prestige that came with it, and the benefits that it brought to his life. But life had not begun up until the point when he had this moment with God. So what we see is that God tells Philip, Get up and go, because Philip was in Samaria at the time when God tells him this. And he tells him, go to a road in the desert that led from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, Philip had no idea what awaited him, but God said, go there. And so Philip journeys there, and when Philip arrives, he hears the Spirit of the Lord point him to this man, and he overhears this man from a foreign land reading from the book of Isaiah. Specifically, what he was reading was about Jesus Christ. And Philip realizes that he's not meant to just be in this place. He realizes that he's there because this man has a divine appointment with God. There's a moment that God wants to share with this man where he wants to open his eyes. You know, it's not a moment unsimilar to the one that you and I are sharing right now. There's something that God wants to open your understanding to. There's something that God wants to bring by way of revelation to you. And listen, I can't tell you what that is, but you spend a moment with God and you'll see that God will tell you what it is. And so what's interesting is that we have to wonder, why would God see it necessary to meet this man in the midst of his questions and confusion. What was it that caught God's eye? What was it that drew his attention to him? And the answer lies in what this man was in this particular region for. Verse 27 of Acts chapter 8 tells us that he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now listen closely. When God is the focus of your worship, you'll discover that God is present in the moment. God is always there. But worship has a, it's a gateway, it's an opening, it's an enlightening moment that reveals to you that God is there at the moment. See, this man was actively seeking God. And his aim in going to Jerusalem was to worship God. Now, the word worship there in in the original language means to kiss a hand, the hand, in reverence. 
It means it depicts one falling prostrate in homage and in reverence. And in these times, worship was more than just a song. I know for some of us, we'd like to think that worship is when we take time in worship at church, right? Where we sing some songs and we raise our hands and we, you know, cry our eyes out. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's completely appropriate. But we have to understand that worship is not relegated to songs. Worship is something more. It's more than just bowing before God. Worship is an outward expression of an inward decision. Listen to what, the, uh, what John says in John 3.30. The Bible says that John up, up until this point was, uh, was uh, endeavoring upon the ministry that God had given him. He was announcing the coming of the kingdom. He was saying the kingdom of God is at hand. And he was declaring that the Messiah was to come, that he was present and the moment was there. But in John 3.30, we have a very short passage that is profoundly immense in meaning. The Bible says that John sees Jesus and that when he sees him, he says this in John 3.30, he must become greater and I must become less. Listen, John was at the pinnacle of his ministry. The scriptures tell us that he turned the nation of Israel on its end. That crowds were amassing to hear the foretelling of this kingdom and, and, what, and what John was, was teaching them. And so the, the, the people of Israel were all turned in their hearts towards this message of the kingdom now being come. And so he's got all these disciples And then Jesus shows up, and John says something very powerful. He says, I've got to move out of the way for this kingdom. His ministry is greater than mine. And so in the midst of the pinnacle of his ministry, when the large portion of Israel was following him, meaning John and his teachings, John recognizes Jesus, and he says, I must decrease. Now, let me be very clear on this, because for some of us, what we understand and interpret at the hearing of that is that we have to become so little and small that we no longer, you know, matter. No, 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 that's not the case at all. What, what John is saying here is, I must decrease in my authority so that his authority can increase in my life and through my life. This man was on a mission to do more than just attend a church service, this Ethiopian. This man was on a mission to make way for the power, the presence, and the person of God in his life. And while he was on his way to worship, he discovered that God was already seeking him. Listen closely. This man had no understanding of Jesus, but this man had a heart that was yielded to God. There was something that God can do at that moment. And so while he was on his way to worship, he discovers that God was already seeking him. And at this moment, for some of us, you might be wrestling with an unfulfilled longing that whispers to you, 
man, I wish that was me. I wish that's where I was. But the truth is that that is already you. I'll tell you why. Because before you could ever decide, before you ever made the decision to join us online today, God made up his mind about you and he said, I'm already seeking you. This is your moment right here, right now. See, worship isn't a moment of praise. Worship is a lifelong decision to yield to God as greater in our lives. When we proceed in a life yielded to God, amazing things happen. The ability to discern God's wisdom increases. The promises of God have a a, a headway to be fulfilled. And your purpose unfolds because God is greater. Because his ministry is greater than anything you could lead towards in your own life. I think of it this way. You ever been driving and you're about to get on a highway or, or maybe it's a parkway and you get this yellow triangle sign and what does it say? It says yield. And at that moment, what does the handbook tell us we're supposed to do? We're supposed to not only slow down and look to see who's coming, But more than just slowing down and looking to see who's coming, we're supposed to defer to their right to go before us. Listen closely. Worship is the invitation to yield to God to have his way in your life. And as you do, you know what it avoids for us? Tragedies. It avoids crashes. It avoids unexpected or unintended accidents that we make possible by way of not yielding to God. Today, I encourage you to be like this man, where your heart orientation and the decision that you've made is, God, I yield to you. Say that with me, God, I yield to you. Say that with me, God, your way is better than my way. Somebody go ahead and say that with me. Share that with somebody. He must increase and I must decrease. See, God's not into humiliating you. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about piousness where you're just so small and insignificant. That's not the God that we serve. God simply says, decrease your authority and increase my authority and watch the great and the good things that I have in store for you. And so what we find is that as this, this Ethiopian is on his journey to worship in, in Jerusalem, this man is conflicted with a question. He's reading about Jesus, but he's missing him in the process. But notice his heart. He's yielding to God. And then suddenly Philip appears and God instructs him to go over to this man's chariot. And Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And to this, the man responds, how can I, unless someone guides me? Hey, there's an entirely different teaching right there. But let's just take a moment with God. Listen to what this man knew. He said, I need someone else to teach me. And I'll tell you why that's an important point. Because sometimes we approach God and what we approach it as, what we approach it with is a heart that says, I got this. I got this. I got this. I don't need anybody to teach me. 
I don't need anybody to show me. God, I just need you. But what we're doing in the process is shutting out God because sometimes what we're doing is shutting out the very people that God brings into our lives to point us to God. And so don't shut out the hand of God. This man could have missed Jesus had his heart not been in the right place. And so what we see here is this, that this moment is indicative of the journey we're all on. Right here and right now, we're seeking understanding. This man isn't just seeking to hear about God. He's seeking to understand who God is and what God is saying. And so understanding of who God is, his ways, and the implications for our lives and the direction that God has for each of us are contingent upon that heart attitude. And what we see here is that this man was seeking more than just knowledge. He was seeking understanding of who Jesus was. See, religion teaches us to seek how to be a good person. Religion tells us that we have to know what the rules are of what we should follow and what we shouldn't do. Religion tells us what things to stay away from and how we're supposed to modify our own behavior to be okay with God. But what I want to propose to you here is that a moment with God, as we're seeing right here, that this, moment, that this man had with, with God, with Jesus, through the revelation of the scriptures, is this, that we should keep our search focused on seeking to know Jesus. Not to know behavior modification, not to know what doctrines keeping out of, keep us out of being in discipline. You get what I'm talking about? Not what I'm supposed to change for God myself. Never mind that the Holy Spirit is the one who, initiate, who initiates and, and brings about all change. He's the one who quickens our mortal bodies. But what I want you to see is that you should keep your focus on seeking to know Jesus. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3.18 and what it says. It says, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. And watch what happens as we're seeking Jesus. As we're seeing in the mirror of God's word, it says that we are being transformed into the same image. What same image? You are being conformed and transformed into the very likeness of Christ who's already in you. And the scripture says that you go from glory to glory. You know what the scripture saying there? You're going from one state of good to another state of gooder. I know that doesn't, that, 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 that it makes sense. That's not correct English. That's all right. I'm not speaking to you on man's terms. I'm telling you that what God does good gets better. What God does better in your life gets greater. What God's done in greatness in your life is, is, is meant to excel to the umpteenth level. God is, is the one that takes you more and more, and you grow more and more as you get to know Jesus more and more. I remember a time many years ago where we had just moved up to uh, the, the region that we're in here in, in the lower Hudson Valley. We had uh, moved from the city and uh, we were both working. Uh, actually, no, my wife was already working upstate 
I was still working downstate in the city. And uh, you got to understand that I had, I had a great job. I, 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 I did my job well. I had much responsibility. And, and everything that I was doing was just, it was working. Everything was going good. But there was something that was missing. You see, in those moments, um, after we had moved up here, and after a few years, I began to feel a disconnect from everything that was already working in my life. And, and I was always working, not just in the city, but because I had such a long commute, I, I'm not the type of person that would fall asleep on a train, so I would pull out my laptop and work. So my day was literally about 15, 16 hours, including all the work that I did on the trains. And so on one particular morning, as I go to open up my laptop, as I'm heading down to the city, I just felt like empty. And I had an honest moment with God. And I said, God, I can do what I'm doing well. I can cruise. I can go on cruise control for years doing this. I said, but God, my family's upstate. My church is upstate. My home is upstate. My friends are upstate. My life is upstate. And Lord, while I can do this, I feel empty. I feel like I'm missing something. And I remember saying to the Lord, for the very first time in my life, and you got to hear what I'm saying. For many years, I had known or had been told that ministry was what I was called to. But I always rejected it. I negated it. I said, no, not me. You don't understand my past. I don't know enough. And in that moment, for the very first time, I said, Lord, whatever you want to do, show me. I'm open to it. And in the back of my mind, was that thought about ministry. And for the very first time, I was saying to God, God, even that. And so I said, you know what? I'm not going to jump into my laptop. I'm going to start reading my word. And it just so happened that I had just started reading the book of Isaiah. And as I'm reading, I come across Isaiah chapter 6, where it talks about whom shall I send, whom shall go, and it records how uh, this person responds, you know, to the voice of God, and he says, send me. And I remember when I read those words, that they were more than just words to me. They produced a revelation before me. And I understood that this person was not just responding to go just anywhere, that this person was specifically responding to be the mouthpiece of God. And I said, Lord, at that moment, as I read that and I saw that, I said, Lord, send me. And for the very first time, I said to God, with my mouth, and you got to understand that there's people around me, and at this point, I'm crying. I'm crying as I'm reading the word, and, and I'm mouthing the word, and I said, Lord, send me. If this is what you want, then send me. And at that point, at that point, while I was still struggling for answers, while I still did not understand certain things, there was an openness in my heart. There was a moment that I had with God where I didn't understand and I didn't have the answers, but my heart was open to share this moment with God, and everything became 
crystal clear. Let me tell you why I share that with you. Because moments with God are the means by which we receive answers from God. I'm going to say that again. Moments with God are the means by which we receive answers from God. This was about more than just praying. This was about more than just reading God's word. Moments in prayer and moments in dedicated study in God's word and moments in reflection and meditation and transparency, openness to the truth are the moments that reveal what's most valuable. It's those moments where we share life-changing moments with God. I want to encourage you to go beyond just reading the word. Let me tell you what that looks like. I'm just reading what the Bible says. I don't really understand it, but I'm hoping that something clicks. I want you to see that while your intention is a good one, I want to challenge you to consider, is your motive the right one? See, check your heart attitude there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13 says this, For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now watch this, verse 12. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. So that's who's in you. That's who's now alive in you. It's not you, it's the Spirit of God in you. Watch this. But the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand, watch this, what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Listen, in the same way that no one can know your thoughts except you, No one can know God's thoughts except the Spirit of God. And here's the advantage that you have. The Spirit of God is the same Spirit now in you. Why is that important? Because you too can know God's leading. You too can hear God. But you can't miss those moments with God. Listen, we cannot hope to understand and have access to our God who is spiritual by natural means. We must dig deeper. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. You can't just say, I'm just going to read this book and miss that it is God's words to you. You can't just approach prayer from a standpoint where you say, I'm just going to let God know what I need and miss that God wants to also speak to you in the process. See, relationship is two-way. It's conjugal between two people. It's give and take. God wants to be intimate and close. He doesn't just want to hear your heart. He wants to share his heart with you. It's moments like genuine prayer, dedication to study of God's word. It's going beyond just what the mere words on a paper say, but really digging in to understand what God's conveying to you And moments of reflection and meditation, those are those moments that bring answers to life and help us to live with understanding. As I said before, I'm going to stress this to you again. When you read the word, seek what this man was seeking. 
He was seeking to know who Jesus was. Now, I don't have time to teach extensively on this. That will have to be for another time. But what I will tell you is this. The Bible talks about rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, there's a division between what we're to understand and what we're not to reflect on. And if we're going to rightly divide the word of truth, we must read the word in light of who Jesus is and what the scriptures are telling us about Jesus. You know, even in the Old Testament, there's a pointing to Jesus. The book of Ruth points us to Jesus as our Redeemer. The book of Genesis points us to Jesus as our beginning. The book of Nehemiah points us to Jesus as our restorer, as the one who, who, who helps us to build and to, re- to resurrect the broken in our lives. Listen, in every portion of Scripture, there's a pointing to Jesus. And if we're simply reading the Word of God in light of the Old Testament, for example, then of course we're going to miss Jesus. We're going to misunderstand God. We have to see the scriptures in light of what Christ has done after the cross. In the Old Testament, it points us to Jesus at the cross and his resurrection. In the New Testament, it points us to what Jesus accomplished. And so now we have to rightly divide the word of truth. And so upon hearing the good news about Jesus Christ and understanding its relevance to his life, The Bible tells us that this Ethiopian man saw a body of water and he decided right then and there that he wanted to go public with what he now believed. Now you got to understand that up until this point, when people made a decision for Christ, the model that they had was the baptism into water according to what John used to do. And so this man, according to his understanding, he says, I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that he was sent for me. And he sees this body of water and he says, well, what's to stop me from making this decision? Right here, right now, baptize me. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And the Bible says that Philip immediately takes him into this body of water and baptizes him. And when he comes up, Philip's gone. See, God had other people in mind. But watch this. We can't miss this point. His experience with God did not end there at his baptism, at his place of decision. Acts 8.39, the second half of it says that the eunuch saw him no more, meaning Philip, and went on his way rejoicing. As we're closing up here, I want you to see something. That at surface level, this leaves us with the impression that this man left with an emotional experience of joy in the moment upon placing his belief in Christ. But the truth is that this moment proved to impact him in a much greater way. That word rejoicing there is the Greek word kairo. And here's what it means. It means exceedingly cheerful. But watch this. It's cheerfulness that leaves you well off. In other words, it's not just in the moment. It's joy for the journey. 
And the reason why that's important is because this man had more than an emotional moment. What we see from the scriptures is that this man was never the same. He was never the same. See, one moment with God changed the course of his life. It left him well off for the remainder of the journey. And that's exactly what God has for you and me. Don't miss precious moments that God gives you daily. Every moment, every breath, every second that you have is a gift from God. But it's also an invitation to know Him. As we wrap up here, I want to leave you with this closing thought. That moments with God have the power to change the remainder of your life journey. Prior to this one moment with God, this man had nothing while possessing everything. But from this day forward, a new path opened up to him. It's the same path that you and I have before us. I close with this final scripture. Isaiah chapter 35 verses 1 through 10 says this. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands and steady the knees that give way. Say to those uh, with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. Hmm. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go on about it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those that the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter into Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. I want you to see that in these verses... God likens the path before you and I as the one that he leads us onto where the most unlikely things could happen, but do happen. He says, in the desert, in the dry place, I'll bring about bubbling springs. Where the crocus flower is not meant to grow, I will grow it. Where you've thirsted, you'll be satisfied Where there was no way, he makes the way. But watch why. 
Because when you take a moment with God, it changes everything. That's what this man experienced. He took one moment with God, and that one moment became a lifetime. God is calling you, not just to a moment, but to a moment that becomes a lifetime journey of peace, of restoration, of healing, of hope, of change. I recognize that we're in times where for many people, they don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but I'm telling you that you walk under the, under the shadow of the Almighty and because you walk with God and because God is walking with you and because you're hearing the voice of God, I want you to see that there's a light that's greater that's casting a shadow of hope and protection and peace and comfort and prosperity and a future for your life. God loves you right here, right now. And he's saying to you, I'm spending, I'm sharing this moment with you. But this moment is meant for the lifetime of your journey with me. Don't miss this moment. Right here, right now, it's very possible that there's someone that you're racked with fear. You feel like there's no hope. You're beat down. You're tired of everything that the news says and everything that everybody else says. And you just don't know what to believe. Can I encourage you to take yourself out of those moments and insert yourself right here, right now in this moment with God. Like this Ethiopian who said, how will I know unless someone enlightens me? Right here, right now, here's the one thing that you have. You know that God is reaching out to you. That you're sharing this moment with God and he's leading you for a lifetime. Don't walk away from this moment. It's possible that right here, right now, maybe there's someone you don't know, God. You feel like you've been on your own chariot. Feels like you have everything. You're at the pinnacle of life. But something's missing. Let me say to you, friend, that what you've not realized, that you're coming to realize right now, is that God has appointed a time and a moment right here, right now with you. And he's saying, I want you to know my purposes for your life. I want to bring you healing and restoration. I want to give you a destiny. I want to equip you to leave a legacy, not just to your children, but to your children's children. I want to use you to impact communities. I want to use you to raise up the dead to life. I want to use you to bring light where there is no light. I want to use you to bring hope to the hopeless. I want to use you to... Give sight to those that while they see, they're blind. Because they don't know the truth that you know right now. If that's you, I want to encourage you to pray this with us. It's a prayer of faith. It's a prayer of acceptance like this man where he accepted Jesus. He believed. But what did he believe? He believed that Jesus not only died and rose again. Because the Bible says that Philip explained to him the Gospels and who he was talking about. Philip told him about Jesus. And what Philip told him is what God is telling you and I right now. That he loved you and I so much that he paid the ultimate price for your sin and mine. For the entire world. Because we could not pay it. We couldn't do it. 
And so he said, I'll come in your place and I'll pay the price. You know what that price was? Death. And so he died. He took sin upon himself and he died. But then he rose again. Why? Because God never intended you to live without hope. God wants you to see that just like he rose, today you rise. Hey, friends and family. Thanks again so much for checking out our weekly sermon podcast. We pray that God spoke to you directly through this message. And if he did, we want to know. Send us a message on Facebook or Instagram. You can even give us a call at the office to let us know how God spoke to you. Don't forget to also share this message with a friend, a co-worker. Share it on your social media stories. You never know who in your life may be blessed by this word. Thank you again for checking out our weekly sermon podcast. And we'll see you next week.